So let's jump in. We are in Galatians chapter number five. And we finished up chapter four last week. Uh, we'll recap just a little bit. Uh, Paul ended chapter four with uh, an allegory, which is similar to an analogy where he, he uses things to symbolize things. But he talked about Hagar and Ishmael, and then about Sarah and Isaac. And Hagar was, uh, is a symbol and it is symbolic of, uh, she's a bondwoman, so she represents the bondage of the law. And Ishmael represents the flesh. So when we uh, put ourselves under the law, when we say that we have to uh, obey certain things and we have to do certain things, we're putting our trust in the flesh because the flesh uh, is the one that keeps the law or tries to keep the law. And then Sarah, uh, she represents liberty. She represents salvation. She represents grace. So we're not under law, but we're under grace. And that's what Sarah represents. And then Isaac represents the promise. He was the promised child. So he represents our salvation, our spirituality, because that's the promise that God gave us, that if we would come to him, that he would forgive our sins, and that we'd have a home in heaven, we'd be born into the family of God. So that's the promise that he was given. So as he finishes uh, chapter number four, he says in verse number 29, but as then he that was born after the flesh persecuted him that was born after the spirit. So what does the flesh do? The flesh persecutes the spirit. The flesh says, no, 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 spirit, you have to, you, you have to count on me to live a certain way. It, it, it's not up to the Holy Spirit of God that lives inside of you that cleanses you. It's my ability of the flesh to, to live right and to do right that cleanses you. So they're contrary one to, the, one to the other. And then he said in verse number 30, he said, Nevertheless, what saith the scripture? So Paul says the, the flesh persecuted uh, the spirit and there's a conflict there. But he says, what does the scripture say? And then he says, cast out this bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. So what Paul is saying is he's saying, listen, take this law you're talking about and take your flesh and throw it away. Get rid of it. Don't think about that anymore. Don't, don't live like that anymore. Don't let your mind take you like that anymore because the flesh and the law cannot be heir with the spirit and with grace because they're contrary one to the other. They can't exist together. It's not, it's not we're saved by grace, but we're sanctified by works. That's not what it means at all. He's saying you got to, he, he said, just like they said, get rid of this bondwoman and her son. You got to get, we got to get rid of the law and we got to get rid of the flesh and only live according to the spirit. Now he jumps into verse or chapter five and it was important that we go back and recap so that we understand what he's talking about in verse number one of chapter five. So he said, stand fast therefore in the liberty or the freedom wherewith Christ has made us free 
and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. So when he's saying stand fast, he's saying stand firm, stand tall, don't deviate, don't give in, don't surrender to the law and to the flesh. He said stand fast in your freedom. Don't let anybody sway you. Don't let anybody turn you. Remember, he's, he's writing this to the churches of Galatia that have been bewitched. They've been convinced that they have to go back and live according to the law, that grace is not enough. Because the Judaizers said, yeah, that whole salvation thing is good, but you still got to do the things under the law. <clears throat> now, remember, this is a hard concept. Okay, and I understand that. It brings up a lot of questions in our mind. It's a hard concept. It's a hard thing to grasp because we naturally want to say, yes, Terry, I, I, I believe we're free, but we still have to live right. right? And that, that's a legitimate question. So being free does not mean we don't live right. It, it, we're not free to go sin with no consequences. That's not it at all. What, what Paul was saying here is when he, remember when we talked about adoption was not what we think of adoption. We're talking about uh, it was the spirit of adoption in chapter four. It means that we are an adult son, that we've been, we've graduated into adulthood, that we make our own decisions now, that we're not under the law of our parents. And we, and we don't have that guidance. And he said, what, would you go back under the law? He said, you people want to go back under the law? Why would you do that? So I have an example that I thought of this week. I think it's a good analogy. If, if, you, if I rented a house and my landlord was a hard person to get along with, my landlord said, no, no, no. You can't do anything in this house unless you ask me first. I'd like to paint the bathroom. Nope, you can't paint the bathroom. It has to stay white. All the walls are white, they have to stay white. Can I hang this picture up? You can hang it up over here, but you can't hang it up over there. All these rules, all these regulations. I have to mow the yard every Saturday. Can't do it on Monday, can't do it on Friday. It has to be mowed on Saturday, right? All these regulations, all these rules, and I'm just, you know, I'm just burdened under the rules that this, that this uh, a landlord makes me live by because it's his house and I can't do anything. So then someone comes up and they say, you know something? This landlord's being hard on you. So what they do is they go and they get money out of their bank account and they go buy the house from the landlord. And then they bring me the deed and they say, this house is yours. No strings attached. You're, you're not under the bondage of this landlord anymore. This your home. Do with it whatever you want. It's yours. What do I owe you? You don't owe me a thing. I did it completely free. I did it because I love you. Now, two weeks later, I'm sitting at my house and I'm like, oh my goodness, it's Saturday. I have to go mow the yard. Somebody cut, my wife comes in and says, I want to paint the bathroom. You can't paint the bathroom. No, we're not allowed to paint the bathroom. You can't do that. 
Let me call the landlord and see if it's okay. So I'm, I'm trying to get a hold of the landlord to see if I can paint the bathroom because the landlord makes the rules. Not anymore. Landlord's gone. Landlord's not in the picture anymore. Landlord has no say-so over what's done in this house. But don't I have to have rules? I might destroy the house. I might put holes in the wall. If, if, if that was the case, somebody would just burn the house down. They'd punch holes in the wall. They'd rip the doors off the hinges. Really? Well, do you have rules in your house that you have to mow the yard a certain time, that you can't paint a wall? If, if there's no rules in your house, and that means your house must be in total shambles. There's holes in the wall, doors hanging off the hinges, grass is six feet tall outside, you can't find the car. No, because you're a grown adult with common sense and you take pride in your home and you want your home to look nice. You mow the yard because you want to. You plant flowers because you like the look of them. You don't have to plant the flowers I like. You don't have to, and the landlord comes over and says, you shouldn't be planting those flowers. What do we say to the landlord? Not your house anymore. <laughs> Get back across the street. Don't have to listen to you because you have no say-so here. Go back over there. I may paint the front of the house purple just to make the landlord see that I can paint it any color I want because it's my house now. You see, once we have the freedom and the ownership of the house, it would be foolish to still live under the rules of the previous landlord. And that's what Paul is saying. He's saying you have been given freedom. Jesus Christ died for your sins, took away all your sins. Why in the world would you stay in bondage to the flesh and the desires of the flesh when you are free to live for God any way you want to? The, 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 bondman ha the bondwoman has no authority over you anymore. The flesh has no authority over you anymore. But wouldn't we just go out and live how we want and ruin our life and drink and smoke pot and all this other kind of stuff and cheat on our spouse and, and, and lie and cheat and steal and everything else? No, because we're adult children in the house of God with common sense that want to do right. We, I, I want to live a good life. I want to be pleasant to other people. Why do I want that? Because the Holy Spirit of God lives in my heart. You don't, you don't have to give somebody rules that wants to do the right thing. <laughs> you have to give people rules that don't want to do the right thing. Does that make sense? So anytime that we allow uh, ourselves to be under bondage, uh, it's completely unnecessary. So if Jesus Christ could be with us tonight, and we could ask him, Lord, of all the things that we're told in the Bible, you got the Ten Commandments, you got all these other things, what is the most important? Surely it would be at least one of the Ten Commandments, wouldn't it? You think Jesus would say, you know, the most important thing that I've ever said in my word was thou shalt not kill. That, that would... If that wasn't the most important, it'd probably be up there, wouldn't it? Not to kill people. Not to commit adultery. That, that's pretty darn important. If you, wanna, if, you, know, if you, if you don't want to have a happy marriage, <laughs> go do that. But if you want to have a happy marriage, you need to stay faithful. 
right? So what would Jesus say? What, what would he say is the most important? Of all the rules that are in this book, Jesus, what is the most important? Well, it's interesting because he was asked that very thing. So let's see what he said. So if we go back to Matthew chapter number 22 and verse number 34, he said, but when the Pharisees had heard that he had put the Sadducees to silence, they were gathered together. So these Pharisees heard that Jesus, Jesus made the, the Sadducees look like a bunch of fools and put them to silence. They couldn't say nothing else because <laughs> he answered all their questions and, and put them in their place, so to speak. So they all gathered together. And verse number 35, he said, then one of them, which was a lawyer, asked him a question, tempted him, saying, See, you thought lawyers just started causing problems in the 21st century, didn't you? <laughs> no. Lawyers, lawyers they've, been, they've been evil for the, from the beginning of time. Just kidding. I know nobody here is a lawyer. Verse 36, he said, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? He said, there's this law we have to live by. What's the greatest commandment? Is it thou shalt not kill? Is it you, you can't covet? Is it have no other gods before me? What is the greatest law? Verse 37, Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. So if we have a rule that we have to live by, Jesus said the most important rule that you have <laughs> is to love God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. So if we are bound and determined to live by rules, write that one down. That's what God said. This is, this, this is not for compromise. That's the greatest. So of everything in this book, Jesus said, if you're going to do anything, that's what you need to do. But he goes on. He didn't stop there. He said, this is the first and great commandment. And then he talked about the second one. He was only asked about the first one. But Jesus threw in the second one. And he said, and the second one is likened to it. It's very similar. He said, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Now, a lot of people misinterpret this and think that he's telling Christians that we should love other Christians. That's not what the word neighbor means. If he was saying Christians should love Christians, he would say, love your brethren. That's not what he said. He said, love your neighbor as yourself, which means not only those people that live around me, but all those people that live around me on this planet. So in other words, love thy neighbor as thyself. So he said, there's two rules. So even today, this is what Jesus said. There's only two rules that we have to adhere to. One, to love God more than anything. And second, to love other people more than you love yourself. That's the only two rules we have. That's the only two rules that Jesus said. Now, 
How do we know that's the only two rules? Did he say, and that's the only two rules? He actually did when he said verse number 40. He said, on these two commandments hang all the law. So we don't have to worry about thou shalt not kill, right? I don't have to worry about keeping that commandment. I don't have to worry about keeping that law. Why? Because if I love my neighbor more than I love myself, I'm not going to kill my neighbor. Does that make sense? So you don't, you don't have to have a law telling me not to kill somebody that I love more than I love me. There, it's not necessary. So, if, if I don't obey the law that thou shalt not steal, I'll steal from my neighbor. Not if you love them more than you love yourself, you won't steal from them. You see, so telling me not to steal is a waste of time because if I love that person more than I love myself, I'm not going to steal their stuff. So that's why we... When we say, when I say there are no rules, this is what I'm talking about. Because the only rules we have is to love God more than anything and to love our neighbor more than ourselves. And if we do that, we're not going to break all those, quote, rules. And here's the problem with rules. The problem with rules are once you allow a human being to start setting rules, they will set good rules to start, then they will get more stringent, and with time, they will get completely and totally ridiculous because it's a power trip. And I have a great example, and it doesn't matter what your political persuasion is, and it doesn't matter really what you think, but I think all of us could agree that none of us like coronavirus and none of us want to spread it and none of us want to see people infected with it. But yet when you have places like California that arrested a man for being outside playing catch with his daughter with nobody else around, that's ridiculous. Okay. When you have a governor that says no, you have to cancel Thanksgiving and you can't even have Thanksgiving with your own family, that's ridiculous. When you have a governor in California that says you have to wear your mask at a restaurant and you have to put it back on between bites, that's ridiculous. You see, so when you start allowing people to set rules, they set good rules first but as time goes on, they get more and more ridiculous. That also happens in church. That's why we have rules at churches that your hair can't touch your ears, like we talked about last week. That women, it's okay for you women to wear pants anywhere you want, but you can't wear them to church, right? It's, it's, a, it's not a sin to wear pants at Walmart, but it's a sin to walk inside the church. And I'm not even talking about a church service, okay? I'm talking about if you come to clean the church, you can't wear pants inside the church building because somehow that's a sin, but it's not a sin to wear them walking down the street past the church, 
That's okay. Nobody condemns you for walking down the street past the church. But if you step on church property now, God's going to get you. Right? I mean, you see what I'm saying? It gets ridiculous. It gets silly. Men have to wear long sleeve shirts. They have to wear white shirts. If you're a preacher, you have to wear a tie. You have to wear this kind of suit. You, the, the, the more you allow people to have that power, they get on that power trip and the rules become more silly and more ridiculous by the minute. And that's what Paul's talking about. He said, take all that nonsense and get rid of it. Throw it away. None of it matters. That doesn't mean that, that we don't have an obligation to God because listen, if you love God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, you're not going to go out here and live in open sin because, it, because of what you love. Now, that doesn't mean you're never going to make a mistake. It doesn't mean that you're sometimes going to do the wrong thing. What it means is you didn't do it intentionally. So you don't need rules. So um, this, and, and then I want to read to you a, Mark's version of this conversation in Mark chapter number 12. They asked the same question. And Jesus said, the first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord our God is one Lord. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. And the second is, is namely this. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And listen to what he said after that. There is none other commandment greater than these. None. So if we live by these two commandments... We don't need any more rules because we're not going to do things that hurt other people if we love people more than we love ourselves. We're not going to go against God's word and against God's standards if we love him with all our heart, with all our mind, and with all our soul. So I want to share something with you. There's a song by the Gaither Vocal Band. The name of the song is Loving God, Loving Each Other. And I love this song. I love how the Gaithers sing it. But this song goes exactly with what we're saying and what we're talking about tonight. Here's the lyrics. It starts off with the chorus and says, Loving God, loving each other. I won't torture you by singing it. I'll just read it. Making music with my friends. Loving God, loving each other, and the story never ends. So where did they get this lyric, loving God, loving each other? From Matthew. <laughs> because that's what Jesus told us to do, right? Love God, love everybody else. Then it's what he said, talking about the disciples. They pushed back from the table to listen to his words. His secret plan before he had to go. So what's the secret plan? They pushed back and they said, all right, Jesus, tell us the secret plan before you leave. The lyrics go on to say, it's not complicated. Don't need a lot of rules. This is all you need to know. Loving God, loving each other. 
making music with my friends, loving God, loving each other, and the story never ends. Second verse. <laughs> I love the first verse, but the second one gets even better. It says, we tend to make it harder, <laughs> don't we? <laughs> don't we complicate the Christian life and make it harder? Said, we tend to make it harder. We build steeples out of stone. We fill books with explanations of the way. If we'd just stop and listen and break a little bread, we would hear the Master say, Loving God, loving each other, making music with my friends, loving God, loving each other, and the story never ends. If Jesus could be incarnate in the flesh right here tonight, we would all fall on our faces before him. And we would say, Jesus, what do you want us to do? He would say, love the Lord with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. And love your neighbor more than yourself. It would, that's how complicated it would be, folks. So this is what we have to ask ourselves the question. Tomorrow, when we're at work. Tomorrow, when we're at the store. If somebody says something or does something, how should we react? We should react out of love. We should love them more than we love ourselves. And that will dictate how we react. What should we do? What job should I take? What car should I buy? What... You see, everything in life, everything, hang on these two commandments. So, should you be at church when it's not a pandemic, Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night, or else? Well, that all depends. Do you love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind? If you do, where are you going to be? You might find yourself at the place that has a worship service where we're worshiping that God. So do we have to force people to come to church? Not if they love God. <laughs> if they love God, we're going we're gonna to have to build a bigger church. We're going to have to turn people away. We're going to have to have three services on Sunday morning because we can't fit everybody in the building if we all just loved God like we say we do. You see, you don't, you don't have to tell people you have to come to church Sunday morning and Sunday night. If they love God with all their heart, with all their soul, and all their mind, where in the world else would you want to be? See, here's the thing. This is what we got to understand. As human beings, we do not do what we're told. We do what we want to do. I'll give you an example. When my children were little, and they were in elementary school. They both played t-ball. My sons really honestly thought if the school had a team that had anything to do with a ball, they were required to sign up and play. That's what they thought. They had to play every sport. They didn't just play one. They had to play them all. Okay? They, they thought it was required. Every time the school had something, they had to sign up for it. That's what they thought. Started in elementary school. So we go to this t-ball game, and it's in June and July during the summer when the t-ball program was on. And it was up here at Central Heights Elementary School in Blountville. And it's 
you know, 95 degrees. The sun is baking. There's these, there's these little wooden uh, bleachers that they got from the middle school when the middle school was throwing them away. We brought them down to the elementary school. They had all kinds of splinters. They were hard. They, you know, so here we are at the ball field for two and a half, three hours because our sons played on two different teams. You couldn't just go to one game. You had to go to two games, right? So we, we were there for three or four hours every Saturday, hot blistering sun. They had a concession stand, all right? You're paying $3 for a four ounce Coke. You're getting a, you know, stale hot dog with some chili and everything else. And you're sitting up here in the hot sun watching my kid hit the ball off the tee and run to third instead of first, okay? Was I there because this was exciting? Was I there because I had nothing else in my life to do? I was there because I was not expecting to be impressed by the skill of those children. I was there because I loved those kids and it didn't matter if they were running to third base. It didn't matter if they never got a hit. It didn't matter. I was there because I loved them. And then I look around and there's more kids on the field than there are parents in those bleachers. So the question is, that little boy over there that I don't even know who his mom and dad is because neither one of them have ever been to a single game, are they just busier than me? Are they more important than me? No. The, the only difference was I wanted to be there and they didn't. That's the only difference. Now, maybe they were in jail, maybe they had passed away, but you get my point. There was a lot of parents that were at home that their kids were on that field. I wanted to be there, they didn't. So what's the difference on Sunday morning at not only this church, but any church? What's the difference between the people that's sitting in the pew and the people that's sitting home? We're not talking about in a pandemic, okay? We understand that there's, there's reasons why people don't come during a pandemic. But in the normal circumstances, what's the difference? The person that's at home is too busy. The person that's at home is too spiritual. The person that's at home doesn't have the rules that say you have to come to church on Sunday morning? No. The difference is the person that's in the pew on Sunday morning is either there out of guilt. They don't want to be there, but they're there because the church will throw them out. Everybody will be mad at them. The pastor will, will call them bad names behind their back. And, you know, the deacons will have a meeting about them. It could be guilt. But basically... The people that are there because they want to be there, because they love God and they want to worship God. And the people that are not is because other things are more important to them than God. And I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just being honest. You see, we don't have to have a rule that says you have to come to church. The rule is you should love God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And if you do that, you don't have to be told you should come to church. You will want to come to church. If you love your neighbor more than you love yourself, you don't have to be told not to kill them. You don't have to be told not to steal from them. You don't have to be told not to beat them up and hit them with a baseball bat. Uh, you see, all those rules 
are not necessary if you love. So God says, don't, don't worry about all that foolishness. Just love me and love other people, and you're going to do the right thing. Don't worry about it. See, this is the way I view Christianity. I do not view this Bible as a list of do's and don'ts. I do not view it as things you have to do and things you can't do. I view this word as God telling us what is beneficial for us and what will hurt us because he loves us. So God tells me in his word, don't commit adultery. So why does God say that? Because he's just waiting for me to commit adultery so he can come down on me really hard? No. He says, I want you to be happy. And I want you to have a good life. And I want you to have a good marriage. And you shouldn't cheat on your wife because that's going to ruin your marriage and your life. You see, it's good advice. It's not a requirement. Y'all get that? Now, if I love God with all my heart, all my mind, and all my soul, and I love my wife more than I love myself, am I going to go commit adultery? No. You see, it's not that we're free to commit adultery. It's that you don't have to, you don't have to tell somebody that loves their wife more than life itself not to go cheat on her. You, you just don't have to say that. So that's how I view this book. God says, listen, if you do these things, you'll be blessed. Read the Beatitudes. Do these things. The meek, be meek. Guess what? Guess what happens to your life if you're meek? You're blessed. So he tells us, if you want, if you want to have a good life, do these things. If you do the, don't do these other things, because it'll, it, it, it'll, it'll be bad for you. <laughs> it'll ruin you. You will not be happy if you do these things. See, it's a matter of perspective. So when I look at this book, I don't look at it and say, I have to do these things. I, I, I can't do those. I look at it and say, what does God tell me to do? The things that he tells me to do, he tells me to do them because they're good for me, because he wants the best for me. So why did I make my children eat broccoli when they were little? Because... My parents made me eat broccoli, so now I get to torture my children and make them eat broccoli and just laugh and laugh about it. No, why didn't I let them eat Snickers candy bars every day, three meals a day? Because I'm mean to these children. No, the reason why I wanted them to eat broccoli instead of candy bars is because I wanted them to be healthy. I wanted them to grow up and be healthy young men. And I knew that if all they ate was Snickers bars, not only would they be unhealthy, but they would be sick. It, it's not good for them. So do you think that I, do you think my 30-year-old son and my 31-year-old son eat broccoli today because they're afraid dad's going to come get them if they don't eat their broccoli? No, because now they're smart enough to know, you know, as much as I'd like a Snickers bar, <laughs> I really should eat some broccoli because it actually tastes good because it's good for me. Right. And so that's that's um, how we have to think of the difference. So he said, stand fast in the liberty 
in the freedom that you have. Don't deviate from it. He said, Behold, I, Paul, say unto you that if you be circumcised, Christ shall profit in you nothing. For I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is a debtor to the whole law. Christ has become of none effect unto you. Whosoever you are justified by the law, you're fallen from grace. So this is what Paul is saying here. He's saying when we live by law, when we live by rules and put ourselves under that bondage, it's a slap in the face to the Lord Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ and his sacrifice has now become of none effect. You're, Jesus, you're not enough. I have to do something because you're not enough. If Jesus was here, how, how do you think that would make him feel? So, I came and gave up my glory and lived on this earth. I was beaten. I was bruised. I was spit upon. They plucked my beard from my face. They, they whipped me and beat me till my back. I didn't even look like a human. And then they nailed me to a cross, mocked me, shoved a spear in my side. And that's not enough for you? That didn't do it? You got to add to that? What an insult to our Savior. When I say I'm righteous because I did this and that and I didn't do this and that, it is a slap in the face of God's Holy Son because it's not in what I do or don't do. It's in by grace through faith not of works, lest any man should boast. I have to stand before God and beat my chest every day. No matter how good I live my life today, I have to stand before God and say, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I am not good enough to be called a child of God. That's what I have to do every day, irregardless of how, quote, righteous I live my life. Because to do anything else is an insult to the Savior himself. Now, he said, For though for we, through the Spirit, verse number five, wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. So where does righteousness come? Through living right, through doing good things, through not sinning? No. He said righteousness by faith. We are righteous because we have faith in Jesus Christ is what makes us righteous. For in Jesus Christ, neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by what? Love. Goes right back to love God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and love others more than you love yourself. That's where it all hinges on that. <clears throat> Verse 7, for ye did run well. He's telling them, you were doing really good. Who did hinder you that ye should not obey the truth? This persuasion cometh not of him that called you. So what Paul is saying here, this desire that you have where you're persuaded that you have to start keeping the law again, he said, this didn't come from Jesus Christ that saved you. This is not from God. He said, it didn't come 
from him that called you. Listen at verse number nine. He said, a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. And in verse number three, it's, it's similar to that. He said, for I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is debtor to the whole law. So what he's saying is, is no, no, no. You can't just say we're going to keep circumcision because if you do that, you've got to take the whole law. It's all or nothing. You, you, you can't just pick and choose. And is that not what we want to do today? We want to pick and choose. Why do you think we have so many different denominations? It's because people want to pick and choose. Well, I don't, I don't really, I, I know the, I can't tell you the number of time, and, and, and those of you that, that have been uh, a Christian for any length of time can probably say the same thing. I cannot tell you the number of times that I have shared scripture with people and they have said, I know the Bible says that, but there is no but. But I choose not to do it. I don't think it's true. I mean, what can you say? I know that's what the Bible says, but my pastor said, but brother so-and-so said, but my grandpa said, but my dad told me. I, I can't tell you the number of times that has been that phrase has been said. I know the Bible says that, but <laughs> he said. If you're going to take the law, you've got to take the whole law. James 2.10 says, For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point is guilty of all. So what he's saying is, it's like, look, you may not have murdered anybody. You may not have coveted. You may not have committed adultery. You may not have put other gods before me. But have you ever told a lie? You're guilty of all. You're just as guilty as the murderer. You're just as guilty as, as the child abuser. You're just as guilty as everybody else. If you told one little white lie, you have to stand before God and beat your chest and say, I am yet a sinner unworthy. Please have mercy on me. At salvation and every day after salvation, we have to say that. Have mercy on me, a sinner. Verse number 10, I have confidence in you through the Lord that you will be none otherwise minded, but he that troubleth you shall bear his judgment whosoever he is. So in other words, if you, Christian today, are living in liberty and freedom and people are attacking you and troubling you because you're not living according to their rules, who's going to suffer the judgment? Paul says, he that troubleth you shall bear his judgment whosoever he be. And I, brethren, if I yet preach circumcision, why do I yet suffer persecution? Then is the offense of the cross ceased. I would that they were even cut off, which trouble you. In other words, I, he, he says, I wish they were gone. I wish they would leave you alone. All right, so quickly. Now we're getting into the license of love in verse number 13. He says, for brethren, you have been called unto liberty, to freedom. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. In other words, he's saying, should we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. He's saying, don't, don't use this freedom, this liberty as an occasion to the flesh. That would be foolish. But by love serve one another. So once again, he's saying, 
there's no, there's no rules, there's no law you have to live by, but two, or the, the rule of love, to love God and to love each other. Verse 14, for all the law is fulfilled in one word, even this, and it goes back to what we, what we read in Matthew and in Mark, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, but if you bite and devour one another, take heed that you be not consumed one of another. Is that not describing the church today? Bite and devour one another. Because we attack, right? If somebody doesn't live up to our rules, they're the enemy. Verse 16. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So what's the key? If we have no rules, how do we live right? He said, walk in the Spirit and you'll not fulfill the desires of the flesh. So this is what I want you to think about. You can be carnal and live right. You can have a cold, hard heart and do all the right things. But you cannot be spiritual and filled with the power of God and live wrong. That's, you see, so what, what is our duty? What do we have to do? Not come to church on Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Not wear a white long sleeve shirt. Not keep our hair off our ear. That's not what we have to do. What we have to do is verse number 16. Walk in the spirit and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So God says, love me more than life itself. And you'll be so filled with the Spirit, you won't be thinking about these wrong things. You won't have to worry about, you know, should I, should I really drink that beer right before I go to church? What should I do on Saturday night? You, you see, those things won't be coming into our mind because we'll be so busy thinking about God and the things of God and how we can, how we can tell other people about the grace and mercy of God and, and how we can help other people. Our mind will be so consumed with love, we won't be thinking about the things of the flesh. So how do we resist that temptation? Be filled with the Spirit. How do we resist the devil? Be filled with the Spirit. How do we overcome the world? Be, have the Spirit of God flowing out every part of our body. And you won't have to worry about the flesh. That's what Paul's saying. Listen to what he said. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. You see, these two are contrary. These two hate each other. We're, we're trying to tame the flesh, and the flesh hates the Spirit. <laughs> and we're trying to depend on the flesh. They're contrary one to another, so that ye cannot do the things that you would. But if ye be led of the Spirit, you are not under the law. If we're led of the Spirit, somebody that is led by the Spirit of God and is filled with the Spirit of God does not need a single rule, does not need a single uh, a regulation to live by. Why? Because they're filled with the Spirit of God. And they're led by the Spirit of God. Is the Spirit of God going to lead me to cheat on my wife? No. So I don't have to worry about that. If I'm led by the Spirit, if every day I'm doing what the Holy Spirit of God, which lives in my heart, is telling me what to do, I'm not going to do the wrong thing. When we get in trouble, 
is when we're not being led by the Spirit, when we're not filled with the Spirit, and, we, and, and we're being led by the desires of the flesh, we get in serious trouble. Not with God, necessarily, but with ourselves. We cause ourselves serious problems when we're not led by the Spirit. Verse 19, and then, then he goes on and he tells us um, what the flesh is. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these? Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulsions, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. Of the which I tell you before, as I have told you in the past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. You think somebody that's filled with the Spirit of God and loves God uh, with all his heart, with all their mind, and with all their soul, and is led by the Spirit, is going to be committing adultery and fornication, uncleanliness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, all these things he listed. No, that's going to be the furthest thing from our mind if we're filled with the Spirit and being led by the Spirit. Then he says in verse number 22, But the fruit of the Spirit is what? What's the very first thing that he says is the fruit of the Spirit? Love. <laughs> but the fruit of the Spirit is love. And you could stop there. But he goes on. So if you love, so think about this. He, all these other things that he names, it comes because the fruit of the Spirit is love. All these other things are fruit of the Spirit too, but it's all because love. So if we love God, with all our heart, all our soul, and our mind, and we love others more than we love ourselves, that love, what else it bring, does the Spirit bring? Joy, peace, long-suffering. In other words, we put up with other people's nonsense. Gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such, there is no what? Law. So it's, it's all about love, folks. If we just love, we won't be under the bondage of the flesh. We don't need rules. We don't need regulations because he said the fruit of the Spirit's love, which brings joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, and against this there is no law. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and the lusts. Listen to what he said in verse number 25. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another and envying one another. So when he ends chapter 5, what is he talking about here? He says, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. In other words, what he's saying is, if we are Spirit-filled and we love God, we're going to walk that way. That's what we're going to do. He said, if we live in the Spirit, let us walk in the Spirit. And then, in verse number 26, let us not be desirous of vain glory. So what is vain? Vain means without real significance, without importance. It's baseless and it's worthless. So what is vain glory? It's when I think my righteousness comes because I haven't missed a church service in three years. 
My righteousness comes because I pay my tithe and then I give above that and I support a missionary and, and I go and I mow my neighbor's yard, not because I like my neighbor, not because I want to mow their yard, but because if I do something for somebody else, I'm righteous. I hate every minute I'm doing it, but I'm righteous and I want to be righteous. So I go do those things that I hate doing, which I can't stand that neighbor, but I go mow their yard because I want to be known as righteous. So what is that? That is vainglory. When I can say I'm righteous because of things that I do and because of things that I choose not to do, it's vain, it's worthless, it's meaningless. And we get no credit with a holy God because God says, I don't want you to mow that yard. I don't want you to pay your tithes. I don't want you to give extra. I don't want you to support missionaries. I don't want you to do any of that stuff. He says, I want you to love me with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. And if we do that, all those other things will happen. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? That, God says, I don't want you to do those things. I want you to love me. And because you love me, you'll choose to do those things. Because you love me, you'll choose not to do those other things. Righteousness comes because we love God and we have faith in Him, not because we do certain things and don't do other things. That's not where righteousness comes from. And that's what he said here. Don't be desirous of vainglory and then what does he say? If you live by the law, you're going to have vainglory. You're going to have glory in yourself and in your flesh and then provoking one another and envying one another. What do we do? If we're living by the law, I'm going to be proud of myself and I'm going to attack Greg because he's not living as good as me. He missed two church services this year and I haven't missed a one. I'm more righteous than Greg. I'm more spiritual than him. Because he, he missed two, he wears short sleeve shirts and I only wear long sleeve shirts. His hair is a half inch longer than mine, so I'm more spiritual than he. You see, then we're provoking one another. Now I'm going to attack Greg. Greg, you shouldn't be wearing that shirt. You need to cut your hair. You need to, you missed two church services. You better not miss anymore. We're going to vote you out of this church. You see, that's what, that's what the law brings. When we live by the law, we live by rules, we, we live in vain glory, worthless glory, and we provoke one another. And then he said, envying one another. I'm better than Greg, but man, that darn Pastor Gary, he's better than me. I'm, I'm envious of him. I want to be as good as Gary. And that, darn it, I just, I can't, I, I'm trying to do, I'm trying to please Gary. I want to be, I want to please, it, that's what Paul's talking about right here. Let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another and envying one another. Here's the thing. If I love God with all my heart and all my soul and all my mind and I love my neighbor as myself, I will not be envious and I will not feel bad if somebody else does something great for God. What happens is if somebody else does something, you see, here's the thing. John preached three messages and a young man came and got saved. I've been preaching 32 years and nobody's come to the altar and got saved for me in my last three messages. 
So I can either be envious of John, God, how come John got to see somebody saved after just three messages? I preached three times this year. You didn't let me see somebody saved. I, you see, I can be envious of John, but that's not love. But I can look at that and I can say, look what God did. <laughs> look, look how much God blessed that young man that got saved. And look how much God blessed that young preacher boy that just started preaching. My goodness, God is good. Yeah. You see, but if I'm living under the law, I'm going to be envious. Because that proves John's more spiritual than me because he got somebody saved and I hadn't had somebody saved in my last three messages. So now I feel bad. Should, we, should I feel bad because somebody got saved after John preached? But if I'm living by the flesh and I'm living under the law, I feel bad. I'm envious of that. Because now I have to get, now I have to, every time I preach, I have to preach salvation messages so I can get somebody saved too so everybody can see that it's not just John. John's not the only one that gets somebody saved around here. I can too, because I want what? That vain glory. Exactly. But my point is, if we're living under the law, that's how our mind thinks. That's... Yep. Because I've known people who've been in prison, they've gone out and they go home and they sit in their bedroom and they look up at the lot and that's what they used to do in prison or ask to go somewhere or do something. Kind of like how we are sometimes as Christians. Yep. Another thing is you've talked about a lot of times we, we let our first love. Mm -hmm. That's why we do the things that we do and not be exclusive. That's really good, Greg. Anybody else have a thought? Or a comment? I'm not a big movie buff, um, but a movie that I, that I like and I've watched it multiple times is a movie called Shawshank Redemption. Yeah. And a guy gets out and he can't handle it and he ends up, he hung himself in his, in his room. So then the guys in the prison are talking about it. How could he do that? How could he do that? And it was Morgan Freeman's character that said, these walls are strange things. He said, when you first get here, you hate them. He said, but then over time, you get to where you depend on them. So when we first get into a legalistic church, we hate it. But then as time goes on, we depend on it. Because our whole life and our self-worth is based on keeping those legalistic rules rather than our life and our self-worth based on loving God and doing His will. So that's a great point. And it made me think of that movie when you said that. <laughs> yep. All right, any other thoughts? Okay, I apologize for not stopping and asking for input. I get uh, into it and get excited and I, I, I forget to stop. So I apologize for that. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this time. We thank you for your word. And dear Heavenly Father, I hope and pray that uh, I did your word justice tonight.
And I pray to your Heavenly Father, Lord, that you would help me and help all the folks that are here to continue uh, to try to better serve you. And dear Heavenly Father, help us to love you with all our heart, all our mind, and all our soul. And help us to love our neighbor as ourself, as your word says. We ask, Lord, that you would watch over us and protect us. Be with us now as we go forth. In Jesus' name, amen.